0: California recently signed into law a new privacy bill that is considered by some as the strictest of any state. Parts of the bill also mirror the European Union's general data protection regulation. So, what should healthcare entities and other organizations know about this bill? I'm Marianne Kobusak McGee, executive editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with Privacy Attorney Kirk Nara of the law firm Wiley Ryan about the new California Consumer Privacy Act of 2018. So, Kirk, what's your assessment of this new law? Is it indeed the strictest state privacy law in the U.S.? And wasn't California already considered as having stricter privacy laws in most states? What's changed?
1: So it's certainly true that California has more and varied privacy laws than anywhere else in the country. They've got dozens of privacy laws covering all kinds of issues. So certainly it's the toughest state for, for privacy provisions from the perspective of industry in general. However, this law is a whole new ballgame, and it's particularly important because it essentially applies to all, all personal data in all situations. There are some exceptions to that, but I mean, the idea is that it applies to everything. And that's very different than not only all the prior California laws, but also sort of the entire approach to privacy and security regulation that we've seen in the United States to date, where the laws have been either industry-specific, like HIPAA or the Gramm-Leach Bile for the financial services industry, or they've been practice-specific, which deals with a particular law for a particular activity, but we don't have one-size-fits-all laws which is why the comparison to the EU's GDPR has been coming up so often. The GDPR in Europe and the Privacy Directive before that were a single provision that tried to apply to all personal data in all contexts. And this is the first time we've really seen this in the United States.
0: So speaking of GDPR, what makes this California law similar to GDPR? Are there certain provisions or other sorts of similarities?
1: Yeah, there's both similarities and differences. I think the analogy is an easy one to make because it's the most obvious comparison. That doesn't mean it's a perfect comparison. I think at the broadest level, why we're seeing the comparison is just a factually it's GDPR is just so new and it's so recent in everybody's mind and lots of companies have just gone through that exercise. That that set of rules just went into effect at the end of May. It's a good comparison in terms of overall scope. As I said a minute ago, we've got the California law covers any business and any personal information, which is what GDPR does. So in that sense, it's a good comparison. It is also a good comparison because a lot of the California law is driven by individual rights, the ability of residents of California to decide what to do with their information, what happens to their information, and to make various requests of companies that have their information. That, again, is very similar to GDPR and some of the principles of GDPR. There are some differences. There are important differences on enforcement. We have less of an issue in California about things like data transfer, California isn't worried about data moving from California to you know, Pennsylvania or from California to some other country, whereas GDPR is very concerned about data leaving the EU. So there are similarities and differences, but I think in terms of, you know, if people need a starting point to think about in the United States, GDPR might be the best place to start, but at the same time, you really need to focus on the, the specifics of the California law.
0: So who needs to comply with this law? Is it just California-based businesses, or is it any business that does business with consumers based in California?
1: So there's going to be two important issues for companies to think about. One is Are they covered at all? And two is if they are covered at all, how far does that coverage go? And this is the same kind of issue that we had with GDPR. Not every company is covered by GDPR, but lots of companies are, including lots of companies who aren't physically present in the EU. The companies that went through that analysis in the EU then had to decide were they going to apply GDPR only to EU principles or were they going to try to extend it more broadly? We're going to have the same issue in California. So the way the law works is that it essentially provides protections for California residents. So that would be not only a business in California, but it would also be a business in Chicago who is dealing with personal information of California residents. So it certainly goes beyond California's state borders in that sense. So companies are gonna have to think about whether they have dealings with California residents, and the law is pretty broad in terms of what that means, and so companies are going to have to be thoughtful about figuring that out. I'm not sure that if somebody's a restaurant in Washington D.C. and somebody from San Francisco is visiting D.C. and looking at the tourist monuments, and they walk into the restaurant, whether all of a sudden that restaurant is going to get backed into the California law, but. Again, they're gonna have to be thoughtful about that. They're gonna have to think about it. Then when companies decide, as many companies will, that they have obligations under the California law, perhaps the more challenging issue is gonna be, are they going to apply the standards of the California law broader than to California residents? And that's one of the tricky challenges. I mean, if you give a California consumer certain rights in their data, is your company going to take the position, well, we're not going to give those same rights to somebody who's from Michigan. You have that option available to you, assuming you can divide and conquer within your business that way. You can separate out their activities, but companies are going to have to think more broadly about whether that's a smart strategy, whether it's an effective strategy, and whether they can actually efficiently run their business that way. We saw one of the earlier California innovations was laws dealing with, with a law dealing with data breach notice Notification. And what we saw was that other states didn't immediately jump on board, but as soon as we had a big security breach where a company at least was reported as taking the position that they were going to notify California people and not notify people in other states, all of a sudden those other states started saying, well, wait a minute, we have to protect our citizens as well. That's going to be a big issue politically is whether other states are going to start acting in the same way that California has done here. I think there are some significant reasons why that may not happen, but that's going to be a real issue as well. Both the business question of do companies choose to apply the law more broadly and do other states start jumping on this topic as well.
0: When it comes to healthcare care entities and their business associates, what steps should these entities be taking in order to comply with this new California law, and how does this law differ from what they need to be doing anyway under HIPAA?
1: A couple of things that are going to be important for that calculation, and let me be clear up front that a lot of the things that we're talking about today are still very much open issues. The California law was passed in a kind of a crazy set of uh, set of circumstances. There was a ballot initiative under California law that was about to be put on the November ballot that was going to be a significantly stricter set of privacy controls applied broadly across the board in California. And lots of relevant industry and lots of other folks were nervous about the California ballot initiative, and so there was a very last minute pressure to pass a law as an alternative to the ballot initiative. And that's what happened on a very fast deadline. So this law, despite how broadly it applies, was written very quickly and passed very quickly with very little discussion and very little analysis. And so we have lots of open issues that we'll be dealing with over the next few months before this law goes into effect in January of 2020. With that said, a couple of things for the healthcare industry that are important. First of all, the law seems to exempt covered entities for protected health information, meaning the information that is already protected by HIPAA when it's held by covered entities. So there is the intention to have that broad carve out. Now that obviously will will remove many healthcare entities and some of the information they have. It doesn't exempt them from employee information. It doesn't exempt them from somebody has information that's not subject to HIPAA, that's not about their patients or whatever, but that's going to be a big, big piece of this. It is completely unclear whether this law also exempts business associates. You could read the words in a couple of different ways one of which would exempt business associates, one of which would not, and we don't have an answer to that. So that's going to be a big issue. I would expect either some guidance or a legislative amendment to deal with that, but we don't have that yet. Then you also have the enormous range of healthcare information that is not subject to the HIPAA rules because of the quirks of how HIPAA applies, that information generally will be protected under the California law so that companies that, that produce wearables or mobile apps or have healthcare websites that aren't connected to a hospital, things like that, where HIPAA may not apply, the California law will apply to protect that information.
0: Now, as you mentioned, there are certain kinds of data that might not fall under HIPAA and that earlier you had mentioned that this law covers any personal information. Is there certain categories of information that kind of fall under this bill that we haven't seen, you know, as part of a privacy law before? For instance, I know that there's a big section there about biometric information. Are there any elements in this law that before was considered information that kind of fell through the holes?
1: You know, what What I think it does is it basically captures Essentially anything they could think of that might be used to identify a person. So I'm not sure you can look at any particular element and say, oh, we've never seen that before, but we've, you know, we haven't seen much of it and we've seen, for example, there's a very elaborate description of how cookies and internet browsing and those kinds of things, which haven't always been thought of as personal information, certainly are treated as personal information. So it's very broad. It does include some information that I did scratch my head about a little bit. For example, uh, the law explicitly applies to olfactory information, which... I guess means information about personal smells, and I'm not sure what we're going to do with that language, but it's a very, very broad definition of personal information with the idea of trying to regulate anything that a company could collect about an individual that either does or might reasonably identify that individual.
0: Now, this California law doesn't take effect until January 2020. Does this give businesses enough time to comply? And also, can the law be potentially amended until then? And if so, what sorts of amendments might we expect?
1: So we're, we're seeing a couple of different things that are going to make this period between now and January 2020 really important. I would expect there to be significant pressure from all sides to change parts of this bill. One of the reasons that this law was put into place instead of the ballot initiative is that it's easier to amend a law than it is to amend the provisions of a ballot initiative, just due to, again, quirks of California legislative process. So there will be pressure to change this law. There will be lots of pressure to change this law. Some of that pressure is going to come from privacy advocates. Other pressures are going to come from the industry side. I'm not sure where that's going to go. I could see almost anything on the table in changing that law. We are also going to see two other elements. There's a provision in the law that allows the state attorney general to issue guidance about the law, and there is the possibility of regulations under the law. Now, both of those have timing issues because there's not a ton of time between now and then. So I think one of the challenges is going to be that the government out in California is going to have to go through this law pretty carefully, figure out where a bunch of these ambiguous points are, for example, are HIPAA business associates covered or not covered, it will be useful to everyone if they could explain that. Some of that they will be able to explain. Some of that they may say, oh, we need to have a legislative fix. So I think companies at this point should begin evaluating how this law would apply to their business, begin thinking about the data that they have, begin organizing the data that they have. If they've done a GDPR exercise recently, they may have already gone through some of that activity. If they haven't done GDPR, this may be new. I think that sort of front-end information gathering effort will be worthwhile. I think I would wait a little bit to sort of finish all your preparations because it's clear that there's going to be some changes to the law in some way. And so I don't think you want to get too far down the road, but I also don't think you want to wait until the end of that process Because I think that process of reevaluating the law and giving guidance and doing regulations, that could go until the last minute. So you want to get prepared now. That's going to be important. But you're also going to want to wait a little bit before you make all your final decisions on how you're going to implement this law.
0: Finally, Kirk, the law goes into effect in January 2020. But when does enforcement begin and what sorts of noncompliance penalties do organizations need to worry about?
1: So unlike some of the other laws we've seen, I don't really at this point see a distinction between when it goes into effect and when enforcement can at least in theory begin. So it's not, for example, like the HIPAA rules where there the law you know, went into effect in a certain period and there wasn't going to be enforcement for two years after that. With that said, the enforcement provisions are one of the areas that have already generated a lot of controversy. It, basically seems at this point like if there were going to be enforcement, the government has to essentially tell the company that there's going to be enforcement and give the company I think it's 30 days to fix the problem and if they fix the problem there isn't enforcement at that point. So that's a, an interesting provision that certainly lessens some of the concerns about people just getting something wrong or making a mistake. Privacy advocates are clearly going to say that that doesn't give people enough incentive to comply if they always have the ability to fix things, but I would not be too concerned about, you know, and I said this with GDPR as well, I don't think that we're going to see massive enforcement on January 2nd, 2020. I do think that we're going to see lots of people paying lots of attention to this law very quickly after that date. And I also expect that the enforcement provisions are going to be one of the areas where there will be the most focused lobbying debate on trying to change those provisions, both to weaken them and to make them stronger. And we just don't really have a good sense of where that's going to come out.
0: Thanks, Kirk. I've been speaking to attorney Kirk Nara. I'm Marianne Kolbacek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.